Welcome to the Impactful PBL Podcast. I'm Candice, your host, a project-based learning coach and leader of the Impactful PBL Network. And you can find me at impactfulpbl.com. I'm on a mission to do good work with good people for good reasons, and I hope you are too. If you are a current or aspiring project-based educator looking for strategies and ideas to craft memorable learning experiences that empower your students to tackle challenges in their school and community through project-based learning, then you're in the right place. Join me as I share resources and tips to help you launch a PBL initiative in your classroom. Welcome to the Impact Makers community and let's talk PBL. Hey, Impact Makers. This monthly series has been about the importance of teachers owning their professional development or taking accountability for their professional growth. I know you didn't become a teacher for summer breaks because let's be honest, by the time summer arrived, you were in need of a recharge. So it's really not as much of a break as non-educators would like to believe. Plus, you are most likely an educator in another capacity during the summer or furthering your learning or revising lesson plans for the upcoming year, reading about instructional strategies, browsing Pinterest for cool classroom ideas, Basically, you are a teacher who wants to make an impact in your students' lives and the community that you work within. Over the course of this month, I've asked you to evaluate how you approach professional learning. I encourage you to set up professional learning goals and not the ones your principal set up for you, but goals that get you excited and fuel your enthusiasm for teaching. We also explore some ways that you can engage in professional learning opportunities virtually. And if you missed those episodes, check them out. Now this week, I want to discuss some common mistakes that I've seen that hinders teachers' effectiveness with implementing high-quality PBL experiences. Of course, this is my perspective based on my lived experiences, but I'm sharing them so that you can be aware of these actions and possibly help yourself, your colleagues, and school leaders avoid them. Now, some of these actions or behaviors you can directly control, some of these actions or behaviors you may think you have no control, and some of these actions or behaviors you can influence. I'll let you decide which category to place each action. Out of all of the teachers that attended my PBL workshops last school year, approximately half have attended PBL training before. In other words, they weren't new to the concept, yet they still needed additional support with implementation. The demographics of these teachers varied, but I had very few teachers in my workshops with less than three years of teaching experience. And a large majority of them were STEM teachers or they were teachers who worked at STEM-focused schools. And after conversations with teachers and schools and district leaders, I've noticed three myths that educators have about PBL professional development. The first myth is thinking teachers only need a day or two of PBL training, and then they are expert practitioners. Don't get me wrong. Is it possible for a teacher to attend a two-day training and then be able to implement PBL in their classroom? Of course, but everything is not going to be perfect when using PBL as an instructional method. And even the most experienced PBL educators have ongoing challenges. That's why ongoing support and resources are necessary. How many trainings have you attended where the facilitator showed you some interesting practices and you never saw them again? After the training, you go back to your classroom, you attempt the strategy, you hit roadblocks, and you have no one to seek advice or debrief the experience with. You become frustrated and think maybe this, insert the strategy, won't work for me or my students. But what if you received ongoing support? What if you had access to the trainer beyond the one-day training? That leads me to the next misconception about PBL training. Thinking that the school leadership team don't need training. I'm not talking about the instructional leaders that have extensive experience implementing PBL. 
But even instructional leaders who are PBL experts should attend any PBL training that their teachers will engage in because it's beneficial to understand the terminology and process the facilitator is showing teachers because you want to use a similar language. Often I see that instructional leaders have a vague understanding of what PBL spaces should sound, feel, and look like, so they have unrealistic expectations or they're unable to support teachers during challenges. That's why there is a lack of ongoing support. Also, if PBL is a school-wide initiative, new teachers will need professional development to maintain the PBL culture. I'm always excited when I work with schools that have a designated PBL coach whose role is to provide on-the-ground support to teachers and students. When a school has a PBL coach, I typically collaborate with them to design a custom professional learning experience for teachers at their school. Either way, I strongly believe that the school leadership team should be knowledgeable about PBL teaching methods. The third misconception is that teachers don't need time for planning and collaboration. I have a saying, PBL unit planning is better with friends and food. Think about the best PD you've attended. Why were you so engaged? I bet part of the reason for your interest is that you had an opportunity to give and get feedback from peers. You had access to brainstorming partners. The instructional strategy was something that you could use immediately so it felt relevant. And you had the opportunity to implement what you learned during the session. So you left the training energized and feeling like the experience was meaningful. Therefore, having time to plan during the school day is beneficial. I supported a school that set aside a certain number of planning periods per month for teachers to meet and collaborate specifically for designing PBL unit plans. For teachers not at a school with a school-wide PBL initiative, seek training that has a community component. For example, if you are taking an online course, ask if there's an online forum where you can have discussions with the trainer or other teachers. The main point is that planning is essential to execute a high-performance PBL. And of course, all these standard components or characteristics of what makes a great PD still applies. But these are the three mistakes that I often see that negatively impacts teachers' ability to master PBL facilitation. Now, besides sharing from my personal experience, lately I've been analyzing qualitative research studies that explore which components contributes to teachers' ability to implement PBL in a successful or sustainable way. And the common theme is that teachers should receive ongoing support, which I definitely agree with. Now, the length of time necessary for support may vary based on a teacher's previous experience with student-centered and inquiry-based instructional practices. But I would say it would be great to receive ongoing support for at least a year. So what could this support look like? When I think about PBL professional development or PBL ongoing support, I'm including trainings, whether in-person or virtual, planning sessions with your professional learning communities, books, articles, peer observations, or even an online PBL community network. What do you think? What makes a quality PBL professional development? And what mistakes have you seen instructional leaders make when it comes to professional development? Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you find this podcast insightful, please leave a review and subscribe so you can get notified of future episodes.